0: collection of stories from Swan River Press is strange epiphanies his collection of stories from Cereb River Press is a certain slant of light thank you for joining me peter
1: thank you we
0: were talking about ramsey Campbell mm-hmm. and how his stories of the 1980s captured and used the toolkit of the fantastic to bring out the kind of the urban decay that surrounded him and i think that that's a really that's one of the things i think that makes me like this kind of fiction is it gives us a way to talk about things that are difficult to talk about but turn them into plot points.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I completely agree with that. Uh, there's one particular story by Ramsey Campbell uh, called Baby about um, a down-and-out woman who pushes a pram with uh, belongings in it around run um, rundown part of Liverpool. Seemingly but in actual fact, there is something much more horrible in that pram uh, than um, you might think from the outside. But in in painting the picture of um, uh, this bag lady in a rundown part of Liverpool, he really does portray something about the uh, the seediness and decay of the city at that point.
0: Well, that was one of the things I really liked uh, about um, conservation. Out of uh, a certain slant of light, Mm -hmm. I think you do a really good job of contrasting, like, just the seedy part of the city with the ancient part of the city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of start to conflate them where the urban squalor um, is just like the latest excrescence of an ancient squalor that lies not just within the land, but also within the hearts of the people who populate that land.
1: Yes, I think that's um, a very pertinent point that you're making there. And interestingly, um, Rosemary Pardo of Ghosts and Scholars, who particularly liked uh, that story uh, because she uh, comes from that area, the other side of the river, from Liverpool, Ellesmere Port, although that's not named in the story, I invent a name. Um, She particularly liked the way in which um, the story captured... Uh, something about the the seediness of that part of um, Cheshire uh, and the way in which it impinged upon the still surviving countryside of the, of the old uh, Cheshire, which you can still read about in uh, guidebooks from, say, 80, 100 years ago.
0: Well, uh, and too, you talk about guidebooks. One of the things I love about your stories is that the characters in them they don't have to be frightened by anything outside of them. You surround them with enough guidebooks and old books to read about mm-hmm. that by the time they've closed the book at the beginning of the story, they're already pretty terrorized. And so you have this kind of nice dual literary layer mm-hmm. in your books.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, uh, one of the reasons I uh, began writing is I like stories uh, for example uh, for example, M.R. James, Lovecraft used the technique where um, uh, old books or numinous tomes are referred to um, and it was partly a desire to create that kind of ambience uh, that influenced my writing but also um, quite a lot of the stories uh, most of the references they use for example in conservation are real books, they're real old books, I mean occasionally uh, I've invented uh, uh, books uh, where it's suited, but very often um, the stories are rooted in um, actual uh, realities written about in, in old books, and this is particularly true, for example, in some of the stories set in Scotland about old Scottish legend.
0: Well, talk about um, your discovery of those books. Do you discover the books? I mean, I can imagine. I went to a a real pretty nice used bookstore. In uh, Stratford-upon-Avon and I was looking at some of the you know the books that are just like kind of ancient Mm -hmm. old books a guide to this very Mm -hmm. particular part of the country do Mm -hmm. you own those kind of books and kind of just pour through them
1: oh yeah Um, I've got quite a large library of books on um, history topography legend particularly relating to Scotland um, the Lake District Yorkshire uh, to some extent and also um, the area of Merseyside, particularly the area of Cheshire I'm talking about. The particular area of Cheshire is known as the Wirral, the Wirral Peninsula. And that lies between the River Dee and the River Mersey. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, Ramsay Campbell himself has set stories over on that side of the river quite frequently. Uh, in fact, he lives on that side of the river. <laughs> um, and. Uh, I, I have uh, quite a large selection of books on these regions and once I get interested in a particular region, for example, uh, like the Wirral, uh, a couple of years ago I uh, got interested in the area in terms of going on walks there and so I looked up some of the, the old books and then I found them on A Books or in old bookshops. shops. Uh, one or two cases um, I checked things out with serious antiquarian book dealers. Although ne- never buying anything astronomically expensive.
0: Well, I think too that that kind of texture. It's nice to have that dual literary texture in a short story because it allows you, in the, the compact space you have in a short story, to really allude to a much wider world, yeah. and mm-hmm. to have your short story seem much bigger than it is. It's mm-hmm. like the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. it's bigger on the inside than it is mm-hmm. on the outside.
1: Uh, well, yeah, yeah. For example, I'm currently writing a story which uh, I think will appear in um, uh, a collection from Greyfriar Press set in the Coolin Mountain in Scotland on the Isle of Skye. Um, And these mountains themselves are quite horrifying (laughs) and uh, quite awesome. Uh, And it, it tells a tale which may sound very simple about two climbers getting lost as a result of the perils uh, in, the, in the mountains and thereby uh, encountering a certain supernatural phenomenon. But much of the um, uh, the basis of, of the story uh, it will refer to and quote from uh, guides to the cooling, accounts of climbs up the cooling, where the descriptions given by the mountaineers are in many ways as terrifying as any kind of supernatural legend.
0: Well, that's something I think you do extremely well in all your stories. I think that you are a master uh, of creating a a sense of places that are really menacing in and of themselves, where the place itself, I think in almost every story that I've read of yours, is a major character.
1: Well, I mean, this is absolutely true. And this is, um, you know, what lots of people have said. And to that extent, uh, I feel that the stories have greatly succeeded and communicated what was my intention and in my mind in writing them. Because when I began writing, um, uh, the main reason I think I wanted to write is that I wanted to ki- kind of bring to life strange places I'd visited mm. because I consider the uh, the world out there uh, whether you 're talking about some downtown part of a city or the cooling mountains in sky or wherever is is very strange and mysterious and um, uh, to write about that uh, that that would provide a great setting for um uh, you know the ghost stories and Of course, all the writers I admire um, do that h p Lovecraft in old Vermont. Mm. Algernon Blackwood in lots of different places, M. R. James creating the ambience of um, old England and the uh, you know the ecclesiastical places. All these things, all these writers, uh, greatly influenced me and made me want to bring places to to life.
0: Well, I think too that as you're bringing a place to life, you are also bringing your characters to life, because they are seeing the place, and um, the, what they see, as much as it's a reflection of their terror of a place they might never have been, is also a reflection of what is in their tiny minds.
1: Absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, in a number of my stories, uh, I feel I've left the way open in any kind of interpretation for a reading which can either be purely psychological or uh, an explanation in terms of that person, perhaps because they're more receptive because of their temperaments to actual supernatural phenomena. And there's one story in particular I think which exemplifies this quite well is the story, Resurrection, uh, where the character, Amanda, goes uh, to, uh, a village in Cumberland to escape oh from her traumas.
0: Goodness. I and never steps forgot into that
1: story. <laughs> something is that? which appears like um, a Wicker Man situation, mm-hmm. um, May Day celebrations uh, with um, sinister scarecrows. And um, this might actually be what's happening. But it's also the case that that individual uh, is um, a sort of borderline schizophrenic, mm-hmm. and his uh, mind's breaking up. And uh, the story ends with a surrendering. She doesn't know whether 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 it's it's with elation or horror, to what on the surface is a kind of a ritual uh, destruction and burning. But that you see is a metaphor for um, you know the complete sort of um, uh, you know craziness of her mind, uh, to to an extent that she is indifferent whether it's. Um, uh, uh, you know, deliverance, or you know, some sort of um, condemnation.
0: Well, also too. I mean, that's the perfect knife edge of horror that that is really hard to hit, where you want to hit this idea of whether it's awe or terror, are mirror images mm-hmm. of the same emotion, and sometimes the mirrors at extreme poles, it the difference between them is pretty negligible.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm another example which I think um, uh, fits into this this particular debate is the story an American writers cottage oh yeah, yeah which so is about from um, another one from woman, um, similar character in a way sort of breaking up uh, under the impact of alcoholism and um, as the story develops you're not quite sure whether um, you know she's seeing things or whether she is indeed which is is true in the case of the story in a haunted house where in fact um somebody who had succumbed to similar temptations and troubles had left her you know supernatural mark and interestingly um that um that cottage uh, is based upon a place i once visited on um an island the name of which has only been slightly changed uh, it's not an island that can normally be gone to unless you stay on the island. And the the isolation of the cottage and the fact that on the island it was said there was a cottage sometimes occupied by an American writer. And I never found out who that was uh, or whether the writer was significant, but that stuck in my mind. And then when I came to write this story, uh, I really began with the idea that somebody would encounter an American writer's cottage um, And then the story that was spun upon it, uh, you know, came from a number of other influences as well.
0: Now, when you work on stories, do you work on just one at a time, immerse yourself in that world and that perception, or do you have several strands going, you can go from one haunting to the other? Okay.
1: Well, I usually have um, several stories at some stage of um, either planning or writing going on. Um, I mean, at the moment. there's uh, at least four in the process of uh, really? writing. Mm-hmm. Um, possi- uh, p- possibly five, it depends how, how you define it. <laughs> but uh, when I actually sort of uh, get down to writing one, I then devote all the time to it. Mm-hmm. But there's an awful lot of time that goes by uh, between the idea and when I sit down and write it. Mm-hmm. I write everything um, normally. First of all, by hand in pencil, uh, which I find easy to amend with an eraser and I won't be too bothered about um, whether there's bits in I think maybe ought to come out or whether it's too long, or even if some of the the language is a bit naff um, and then I go I go back to it and I go through it more carefully uh, as I type it up onto the word processor um, and then there's a sort of um, an endless series of uh, correcting on the word processor, and rewriting, and then even when I get a final draft, I um,
0: how do you know I go back to draft? it?
1: Well, <laughs> and there reaches a point when you think, well, that's it, but then I keep going back to it. I keep printing it out and rereading it because I find it better to read it on paper. Um, and it'll take say a period of three weeks or so, and I'm still amending it. But I could go back months later and continue to amend it. Even the stories in the books, as you've seen, uh, where I reprinting them, I would probably amend them in terms of phrases.
0: I, th- uh, I think I remember uh, a couple of the stories in uh, A Certain Slant of Light, you you mentioned that. You yes. Had you had mm. extensively reworked them for the
1: for the book. That's right. Yes. There's, um, there's two stories, uh, one in particular, Only Sleeping, mm-hmm. uh, which is about um, a boy encountering supernatural events on the isle of man um that one um was considerably longer when it was originally published because it it, it had a sort of a long extra scene in the fairground which although it was very good and everybody thought it was very good i felt it didn't properly engage with the direction of the story so when i rewrote it i edited that out however quite a few people have said they prefer, prefer the original. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think a lot of people like me just want as much of your prose to experience mm-hmm. as possible, and mm-hmm. that, so mm-hmm. but I do understand the uh, the inclination to keep a short story very very focused. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we were talking a little bit about earlier is uh, you know your sense of location. I think something that's really interesting uh, about your work. Is it evokes, I think, uh, an unease we have now? Because the world is essentially entirely mapped and entirely known. I mean, there's not a place you can't see right from this little tablet here. Yeah. On the other hand, once you get out there, the world is entirely unmapped and unknown. And all you have when you confront it And I know this because I'm in the midst of traveling to all sorts of places I've never been before. All you have is yourself, and maybe that's not something that you might find thing parts of yourself that you're not so happy with.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I I agree that um, when you look closer, you know, go into a kind of microcosm, Uh, the world is um, uh, not as discovered as it seems. Um, I mean, a lot of people travel far more often than they used to Mm -hmm. and it might create a sense of of knowing the world but there are so many um corners and unless you look at them in a sort of a microscopic detail i mean for example i've gone up to various places in scotland which are very remote and um uh, you know spent some time there just wandering around alone and you pick up something entirely different than if um you followed um Quite normal tourist routes, or even routes um, organized by, you um, know, uh, sort of serious walking organizations or, you know, unusual uh, themed uh, organizations. I spent a lot of time um, visiting the Isle of Col in Scotland, mm-hmm. which is a very small island, 14 miles long, 3 miles wide, and it was quite um, an eye-opening experience to go and sort of lived there from time to time with, um, the people who were on the island. It was quite different from the way the island appeared. Uh, How did you the live there?
0: Trip. In a rented house or? Well,
1: um, I had, um, uh, a, a girlfriend who lived there for quite a long time, S- sadly died in 2005, but, um, uh, I used to stay uh, with her. She moved to the island, mm. bought a cottage there, um, and, um, uh, sort of settled into the community. There's only 150 people on the island. You know, I th- you said something I thought was
0: really interesting that uh, we think we know the world but when we start to get there and look at it in detail, mm-hmm. then it starts to reveal itself into something in different ways and I think that informs the the plot structure of a lot of your stories and that people will arrive in places thinking they know them and they find out that they really don't know them mm-hmm. quite so well. And as you, once you start that journey, to looking at the detail, it's a journey that's really hard to stop until sometimes you come to mm-hmm. something that can harm you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with I agree with that. And um, uh, I always see uh, what's happening in my stories as uh, a person arriving at a place which may have certain. Um, aspects of strangeness about it, but as the story evolves they get more and more uh, enmeshed in a kind of an unravelling of that strangeness, so an intensifying of it, so that reality is collapsing more and more around them. And to that extent I think possibly I've been influenced by writers like Robert Aikman, Mm -hmm. although I would not uh, I would not wish to compare what I was doing to Aikman, because I think Aikman is, is too great to be imitated, but more than any other writer, Aikman, it seems to me, uh, explores uh, the collapse of reality from seemingly familiar situations.
0: I remember the very first time I encountered uh, The Stains in a, oh, yes. in a anthology edited by Ramsey Campbell, New Terrors. Mm-hmm. And that sense of collapse uh, is that's the the theme and endemic in that story. And but I think too you do that too as well quite well in y- in your own. You have a very different I think approach than Aikman, but I think you have a good sense of bringing people to a place and then just letting their own sense they're watching the self collapse. And I think that that's <laughs> a, a, an interesting notion because we live in a world where um, we're supposed to be, you know, constantly protected and our health is monitored and our psychological health is monitored, but really, nothing can save us.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, and again, going back to the story of Resurrection, uh, Amanda feels that such things as going into the dining room in the hotel uh, with its, its neat knives the white, and forks, yeah, the and serviettes, yeah. uh, that she's somehow protected. But all the time, she's paranoid about sort of sexist comments from the men at the bar. Um, You know, she she is actually totally neurotic and is projecting that neurosis onto the outer world. And she's seeking familiarity even as it's collapsing around her. And the thing is, um, although these readings, you know, can appear from these stories, as we're talking about now. when I was writing those stories I didn't set out with a specific plan that this is what I would be doing mm-hmm. uh, I wrote the story from a few basic ideas and then it evolved and in that, ca- that particular story but it could be said about a lot of them uh, I got a sense that I w- after a while I was not so much creating uh, the story as recording it through uh, the mind of the protagonist And so I entered into Amanda's character and towards the end felt that it was taking me even beyond what I originally thought was in my mind uh, to such an extent that the character and some of the characters in the other stories uh, are uh, real to me in a way that um, as if they've gained some separate independence I mean for example the uh, the character in American Writers Cottage uh, the the empathy I feel for that that character and her tragedy is something that um, when I've reread the story, it almost moved me to tears. Um, and uh, it's obviously come from my mind. So whether it's some sort of um, something under the surface of my mind, this has come to come out. I don't know, but it's one of the most um, uh, fascinating and enjoyable uh, things about writing. And, uh, as I say, I don't really plan in any kind of outline mm-hmm. what I'm writing. I have an idea that sets it in motion, and um, I have a vague idea of a conclusion, um, although that's often modified. And then the middle uh, writes itself.
0: Well, I, I think, too, this brings out uh, a feature in your writing. It, in some ways, it, I guess it's maybe like method acting. I mean. You immerse yourself into the character till mm-hmm. you become the character. And what happens when you do that as a writer, That that's what makes the reading experience so pleasurable and so intense is we get to go somewhere else. And because we read, and I think the the best part about reading is that text, the reading experience, is that when we can recall these stories in many ways as if they're our own memories.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, you use memory in your story, too, quite well. The characters mm-hmm. are always kind of thinking back. They they might arrive somewhere new, but they're even though they're one place, they're also simultaneously another place in their memory.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Do you know, when I first um, started writing, one of the things I worried about uh, was characterization. Uh, and also, I worried about dialogue, because in many ways, dialogue... Um, is a way of conveying character and an awful lot of stories one reads you know in in the magazines and so on very good stories but the the dialogue is clunky and not how people speak and the characterization is not convincing or one-dimensional I mean even someone like H.P. Lovecraft Mm -hmm. uh, his characters are almost non-existent Mm -hmm. Um, but um, uh, w- when I began writing, without any kind of effort to work on this or think about how it might be done, uh, I found from the basis of what other people have said when they 've read the stories, that the characterization is good um, and that the dialogue is um, is good.
0: well I think part of that too. your prose is very rich and evocative, you have a nice way of. Uh, a nice turn of phrase. It seems it reads really smoothly and beautifully, but it feels kind of rich in detail. And you talk about revising it. Do you have, how much of that happens on the prose level? Do you revise, or do you, when you're revising, are you just like deleting parts of the story?
1: Well, obviously, it goes through different stages. Um, usually, when I've decided it's a final draft, uh, there won't be passages mi- missed out, uh, but there might just be. Um, a turn of phrase, or I might think a particular paragraph has has got a sentence that uh, is is one too many, because it's um, repeating something that's already been implied uh, in the paragraph, because I do like to think that uh, good prose and and my own writing uh, are suggesting as much as possible, rather than explicitly describing, because again, that is something that can be Um, uh, the death knell of a supernatural story over description. Oh I agree. Um, And so there tends to be an editing down um, of um, excess uh, phrases or if I feel it's been uh, too explicit but there's another thing I'm looking out for. Um, I read every paragraph individually starting at the bottom at the end uh, so that the sound of every paragraph Uh, in my mind it it, it scans as you would say about a uh, you know Roman poetry or something, there has to be a scan uh, in my mind that that the prose sounds right and there may actually be one word where you just change the word and it sounds better this is totally subjective because I'm sure a lot of it would make no difference to anyone out there but then I work through all those paragraphs and then I read the story again and the story has to sound, it has a kind of scan or or, or musical something in my mind and only when it reaches that stage am I satisfied and if many people have said they've found the prose impressive, well I mean that's a compliment to me because it shows that what I'm doing is not simply some sort of obsessive activity but is perhaps um, creating something that can be seen by someone else. Well, I
0: think that, you know, the prose is, is, it is fine. There's just no doubt about that. And I think that that goes to, you were talking a little bit about uh, excessive description. And that's something that I think is really great in your stories, is that on one hand, you do give us, I think, if you're reading a supernatural story, you really want the feel of the supernatural, but you don't want it over-described because it's best to let the reader describe it. That's how exactly, the, yeah. the mm. terror, so talk about that. And also, you give us like good monsters, but we never <laughs> have to see them, which <laughs> is excellent. Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that, because uh, the first story I had um, published was in All Hallows magazine, Millennium Ball, which is in the Sarah Press book, mm-hmm. uh, about something strange seen on the Isle of Col. Um, and the culmination of the story, uh, is never explicit about precisely what it is that's being seen, but the story was illustrated by All Hallows, and the uh, the image was put in at the very point of the climax, uh, just before the story climaxed, and it portrayed um, a creature on the page which was not in my mind, <laughs> and looked deserted, uh, escaped from um, a film about. You know, the prehistoric world, it was a turn of service Rex or something, and that was as far from my mind as as anything, <laughs> and I felt that that um, uh, spoiled the story's impact because it was meant to be subtle.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. It's it's <laughs> it's not helpful to over, illu- especially mm-hmm. to illustrate a story that mm-hmm. needs no illustration. Um, you know, one of the things I think that interests me about the way you're writing is there's a, a lot of people, you know, in in your in the press, in the small press world around here, just in, in this exact area, who are exploring this terrain. I think it's a really interesting kind of terrain. Um, stories that are have a strong psychological element, a strong sense of place. Um, so talk about why you think that we are still interested in this kind of story in an age where we are even here in the most remote of places surrounded by technology
1: well i think technology you know obviously uh, is is an aspect of uh, modernization which uh, for quite a long time now has been on the surface at least transforming the world but It's also taken people, I think, away from um, much uh, that previous generations were aware of. Uh, I mean, just something as simple as um, uh, young people growing up, say, now in um, a small village, or even in a very remote place, like um, I was recently in the Faroe Islands, remote islands on the way to Iceland. And um, I was told uh, that uh, the young people um, because of the internet, because of media and TV, they want to leave the island and go where it's exciting. But a previous generation would have picked up um, the uh, the ambience of a local area to such an extent that even people like living around here, what was going on in Leeds, um, let alone London, would have been a world that only very distantly impinged upon uh, their, their uh, consciousness and i think that um uh in a lot of contemporary fiction especially uh that sense has been lost because i think a lot of uh commercial contemporary fiction um demands uh an engagement with the surface but i think that you know writers like myself and um you know these other people that you refer to are interested in um not simply in antiquarianism in itself but in Uh, looking at um, some of those old realities, which are still there, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. um, It's uh, a matter
0: of perception. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can look at the world and see atoms and molecules Mm -hmm. and light waves and quantum particles, or you can look at the world and see gods and monsters. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the efficacy with which you deal with the world, depending on either worldview, may not be so different. I mean, you can, the people who believed in Gods and Monsters did some pretty darn impressive things.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And they they also, too, had, I mean, underneath all of that is still just the human mind and human emotions and needs and wants and, Mm -hmm. you know, insecurity and doubt. And I think that that's where one of the things you do is, in your stories, is you kind of, you But those two uh, against one, another, you give us, uh, like, the kind of urban squalor Mm -hmm. on top, layered on top of something that is Mm -hmm. so old we don't even know how old it is.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the stories I wrote um, in A Certain Slant of Light uh, is also set in in Liverpool. Um, It's a story called Bewitched, uh, which is, in many ways, a fairly... uh, light story Mm -hmm. but in that story I um, uh, incorporated uh, the atmosphere and characters of the street I grew up in in Liverpool where all kinds of prejudices and superstitions uh, still reigned you know back in the in the 1950s Um, and uh, the story uh, was inspired by that that memory Um, and of a community which itself was actually quite self-contained. Now, one you know th- there was suspicion if, um, you know, some black people came to live across the road. Uh, there was an, an old lady who was quite unpleasant, and you know, <laughs> people said things about her, and uh, um, you know, all kinds of things that sort of lodged in my mind as a child. You know,
0: you know, um, one thing that struck me you talked about a small community and. I think too, that this kind of fiction really deserves to break up into a larger community. I mean, have you like tried to submit this stuff to the New Yorker or Atlantic Monthly or Harper's?
1: No, I haven't actually um and um i can it', it. It's just really something um, I've never got around to thinking about how to go about the uh the, the you know, the, the contacts and so on
0: oh well it's just you can to. Uh, I mean, Mm. you know, to my mind, this kind of fiction would work really well in those environments now. They're a lot more open to um, fiction that's not just about, you know, uh, what I would call the kitchen window epiphany. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Somebody staring through the kitchen window, oh my God, my life is hell. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And in fact, to a certain extent, your your stories actually have quite a bit of that going on as well.
1: Well, I think this, this is certainly true, and um, I'd like to sort of add on that point, um, because I think this is absolutely relevant, is one of the writers who I admire most of all, uh, in fact I would, I would say she is possibly the greatest living American writer, is Joyce Carol Oates. Much of her work uh, is in the realm of that dark fantasy, and where it borders on supernatural stroke urban horror Um, and um, I'm very uh, aware from you reading her stories and reading about them uh, and seeing where she's had short stories published that um, it is uh, you know uh, an option on the lines of what you're saying
0: now uh, for for Mm -hmm. your work You've worked exclusively in short stories. Have you considered a novel or a novella length work or, I mean, some of your stuff borders on novella length, I would say, but have you considered, like, uh, trying to put together a novel?
1: I've never really considered it um, uh, too seriously, mainly because I found the medium of um, uh, the short story the most effective in terms of what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I think uh, a novel presents uh, different challenges, and I don't know how uh, effective it will be.
0: The other thing you mentioned uh, much earlier in our conversation was that you've been spending a lot of time in Scotland, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I just wanted to ask. I mean, do you like set up? Okay, I'm going to go to Scotland to just kind of look around and see what kind of weird places and talk about. Um, Absorbing the sense of a place, and this is a word I've seen, phrase I've seen used many times when people talk about your stories, the genius loci, which is, I think, uh, at the heart of much of your fiction. What do you do? How do you go about absorbing the genius loci of some place you visit?
1: Well, it's totally spontaneous. I mean, I go to these places because I want to go to these places. I've travelled there with friends, I've stayed with friends, as on the Isle of Carl and on Skye where I have friends. I've spent a lot of time wandering around myself and also in the past driving around Scotland. Um, I'm I'm always on the lookout for anything unusual, an old church, um, some haunting part of the landscape, um, antiquities uh, or just simply villages or islands that you look interesting. I have made a point of visiting uh, more or less every Scottish island um, and everything that I've written down later uh, has come from my mind later. I've never gone there looking out for ideas or searching for um, inspiration. Do you take notes when you go there or photographs or um, draw Nothing is done in a very planned sort of way. I do take photographs, but not in an overly serious way. Uh, I also make sporadic notes in in journals. Sometimes I might keep a journal of a visit, Mm -hmm. but I often write them up afterwards. As a matter of fact, I have been in the habit uh, lately of writing up, sometimes relating to events of quite a number of years ago, of um, travels around Scotland, Scottish Islands, which I've entitled Journal of a Tour of the Hebrides, and I share the what I write with um, like-minded um, people, it mainly in the the sort of small genre, uh, small press, uh, supernatural genre circles, people like Mark Valentine and um, uh, y- 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 those sort of people. Um, but these are very much retrospective uh, accounts mm-hmm. of um, things that I've observed either recently or further further, further ago in the past. Um, but people ho- who've read those journals hem- themselves have said that they convey uh, something of the strangeness of the stories. I guess I,
0: that certainly wouldn't surprise me I, I mean, it strikes me that uh, have you considered a collection of that kind of writing?
1: Uh, yes, I have um, and what I always had in mind is that when I had enough to gather this alike, perhaps dealt with most of the scottish islands mm-hmm. you could actually go to a small scottish publisher of which there are quite a few and propose uh they might want to print a journal like this because i, I write um the journal in a manner um which is probably has more affinity with um the uh 18th or 19th century writers rather than a contemporary um travel journal,
0: journal now uh do you have anything that you could read to us from with you?
1: Okay, I'll read um, a passage from uh, the later stages of an American writer's cottage, which is one of my favorite. Okay, great. C- stories, um, probably the one with which I feel most um, comes closest to perfection in my my judgments. Okay. Um, just from there to there. Perfect. Um, well, tell me when you're ready. Go. Margaret rushed to Schooner House. She must speak to Katrina. Yet what was she to say? That she was haunted by Karen's ghost? That she knew she had hanged herself in the cottage? That they had been lying to her? It was, after all, on sober reckoning, only supposition. Macbeth would put it down to drink. She had caught his disapproving looks. But Katrina knew. She bore within her soul the sensibility, the insight of the Hebrides. Are you sure you're all right there? Margaret knocked repeatedly and loudly, but the sole response was Charlie's furious barking. No lights were on, nor was there smoke from the chimney. They must still be at Fort William. Night was almost upon her. All the time it was getting colder, the penetrating chill of a Scottish April. The only thing was to brave it out one more night. Wine and whiskey would see her through, they always did, sweet waters of oblivion. The dell was dim in rhododendron shadows, the cottage a silent presence. Garden and lock were swathed in pale moonlight. She could hear the seals crying, almost she imagined she could make out words, a ligny of inconsolable grief. Never had their voices sounded so achingly beautiful, yet so eloquent of desolation. Margaret felt enticed, drawn towards the rippling dark waters of the loch. It was then that she heard another sound, an eerie counterpoint to the seals, a low, soft crooning. Too late, she saw who it was, chanting to herself in the tumbling burn. The hunched shoulders, The raggedy clothes. The straggly black locks. The last thing she needed. Margaret paused, retreating silently. But her nervous feet dislodged a stone. It rolled, splashing loudly in the burn. Dorothy turned around. A bit of a fright to look at, but harmless. Katrina's words came back. But fifteen years old? This creature looked a hundred. Or was it a wasted fifty-five? Margaret recoiled, seized with mortal dread. The wizened crone simply stirred and smiled, singing her sad harmonies persisting with her task, pounding in the running water with a large flat stone washing of luminous white garment. Margaret cried out, stumbled, lost her balance, sliding on the wet grass. She fell into the burn's declivity, where the rocks were sharp and lethal, The seals welled out, their pains of mourning.
0: That was Peter Bell reading from his short story, An American Writer's Cottage, in his collection from Swan River Press, Strange Epiphanies. We've been having a strange epiphany with Peter Bell. Thank you for joining me, Peter.
1: It's a pleasure. I enjoyed um, talking to you.